I mentioned uh, last week, we're taking a break from James and we've gone back to Mark's Gospel and we're going to be looking at Mark's Gospel now leading up to and including Easter because if you remember we left off in Mark's Gospel just before the trial and the crucifixion, all the, the events leading up really to Easter. So we're in Mark chapter 14 and I'm going to read from verse 67 through to verse 72, or the 66 I should say, to 72. Let's all stand to hear God's word. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seek Peter, warming himself. She looked at him and she said, you also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And he went away into the porch. Servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a while the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and to swear, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. God bless his word. We consider that in just a moment. Please be seated. Let's come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, again we thank you as we now turn to your word. We pray that you will help us to understand through your Holy Spirit. And more than that, that you will give us the wisdom and also the courage to apply the truths to our lives. To be not just hearers of your word, but to be doers. As always, we seek this because we know that it honours you. And I pray that you will open my mouth to speak your word for your glory. Amen. Now in that passage there, Mark chapter 14, we see uh, something that Jesus predicted. Well, he predicted actually many times. And we see that it happened exactly the way that he predicted it would happen. Because he knows the future. It was a prophecy in that sense. But before we look at this passage, I think a bit of a theological context would be helpful for us to understand the situation that Peter really found himself in. At the foundation of all that Christians believe is the doctrine of what is theologically called radical depravity. Radical depravity. And radical depravity means that every single human being is born corrupt, sinful, by nature. We're born that way. Everyone, apart from Jesus Christ, obviously, is born sinful. We read that, uh, for example, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Jesus himself made it very clear. Nobody's actually good. I know that sometimes you, you'll hear people say, well, that person's a really good Christian. Well, if you want to be precise, um, there's no such thing. Nobody's good. Jesus himself said that nobody's good. In fact, um, once somebody came to Jesus and said, a good teacher... And Jesus said, what do you mean, good? Nobody's good. There's no such thing as somebody who's good. It says in Romans chapter 3 verse, uh, and many other passages too, that um, nobody's good, nobody's righteous, nobody seeks God. That is the situation that we're all in. 
and that's theologically radical depravity and it's total and it shows up in every aspect of our behaviour and if you're really honest with yourself you have to admit it you're not good, you are prone to sin you are prone to disobey God you are prone to do things that you shouldn't do and as Christians we understand that and we know that we're saved we know that we are forgiven we know that we're going to be spending eternity in heaven it's, that's not the issue here we know that we've been given a new nature we understand that we've been given new birth as Jesus said we know that we must walk as the Bible says in newness of life we know that we are commanded to do good works to live as God commands in his word all of this we understand we know what it means to be saved we know what salvation means but at the same time we also understand that we live in sinful human bodies in a sinful world we live in bodies that are not yet redeemed we're not fully what we are meant to be we will be one day when we die or perhaps Jesus might come before that time but on that day the day that you die then you will be perfect then you'll have a new body then you won't sin ever again but until that day you live in a fallen sinful body and you will sin sometimes you should immediately ask for forgiveness and God will immediately forgive you when you do but it will happen in other words you're still human you're still locked in a human fallen human body and that's why we sin and we even look at ourselves and, and say what Paul says in, in the Bible oh wretched man that I am he said inwardly I desire holy things I long for righteous things but there are other principles operating me which drag me in the direction of sin so what Paul is saying there is you know I really want to live the way God wants me to live I don't want to sin I want to be holy I want to be righteous but then again I do something that I shouldn't do and I'm being dragged in the other direction there's a, there's a war going on he's saying and it's within me it's not out there it's in here and that's why the Bible teaches all people are weak fallen sinful and corrupt when we come to Christ yes we're born again we're regenerated there's a new nature and our desires have changed our longings have changed our loves have changed but as I say we're still in these bodies and we still sin every Christian understands that and if you understand that you also have to understand that you live in a very dangerous place it's not just the world around you that's the problem the spiritual struggle is actually within you it's within you therefore if you have any sense at all spiritually you won't trust yourself I know you want to trust yourself and of all the people in the world you think well I trust me but no you can't really trust yourself you can't really trust yourself that's what God says to you we all should have a healthy distrust of what we are capable of now why am I saying all of that well if you think for one moment that you're capable and you're able you will definitely sin but if you distrust yourself and you're aware that you could fall anywhere you've got then a chance of walking with God and not sinning the fact is I've, I've seen people before who are Christians and, and they've put themselves in situations where they are prone to sin and they'd think and they'd say to themselves even well I'll be okay in, in that particular situation you know I would never do that I'd never fall in that way you know I, I can cope 
that's a mistake anybody can fall in any situation and the moment you think that you are able to not fall that's when you're going to fall you've got to distrust yourself therefore you've got to make sure you never put yourself in a situation where you could fall and that's exactly what happens to Peter here in this passage Peter had that problem he thought he was okay he thought he could cope he trusted himself he trusted in his own ability and as a result he fell terribly now against this uh, true understanding of all humans um, that um, we are sinful we're far from God we can't trust ourselves the world outside there is actually saying the opposite because the world outside there and it's teaching your children and it's teaching us actually no you're fine the dominating popular lie of our culture is actually people are basically good we're all basically good generically in fact we're pretty amazing we're great the world will tell you that you're wonderful and you need to recognize it you need to have that power in your life you need to have self-esteem you need to believe in yourself and the world will tell you and it will tell our children your ability to achieve greatness is purely in your own self-confidence and the people who fail out there the reason that they fail and struggle is because they lack the power of self-esteem the, the lack the power of self-confidence our children from the time they arrive in school will be taught this uh, the power the goodness the greatness it resides within you achievement is simply a matter of trusting yourself believe in yourself and if you believe in yourself you can achieve anything that's not true you can only achieve what God allows you to achieve in his will and purpose but that's particularly not true for the people of this world just believing in yourself doesn't necessarily mean you're going to achieve anything it's not about that however people are programmed from early education to just believe in your own personal power believe in your own personal worth your personal rights your personal beauty your personal talent reject the reality that um, you're actually sinful corrupt and selfish and prone to disaster don't think about that don't think about the fact that you're sinful nobody's sinful you're all basically good it's the opposite of what God says the world always says the opposite of what God says the devil always says the opposite of what God says our generation consists of deluded people who leave school and then they're in that world out there and suddenly they think oh, hang on um, I'm not achieving what I have been told I can achieve um, I've believed in myself and I've done all the things I'm supposed to do and I just I'm not achieving what's wrong and they become a victim and the rest of the society has to somehow turn the blame for these victims which are victims really of society their failures then have to be explained by something outside of them and people live with this uh, perpetual sense of self-importance and self-power and therefore when they don't get what they want and let's be honest most people in this world don't get what they want they then blame everyone else around them it was because my parents did this or it was because this person did this or it was because this happened and, and so on and what they're really missing the point is it's because they're sinful and they need to go to God and ask for forgiveness and if they do then then and only then will they be successful success in this world is only found in God it's not found in your ability to talk yourself into this or believe in yourself or whatever you do it's not about what you can do it's always about what God can do through you it's the opposite of what the world is teaching us and it leads to more and more problems in the world 
sinfulness. It's all evidence of corruption. And that's where sin starts. It's all about pride. And that's what we find here with Peter. I mean, remember Peter, he was with Jesus for three whole years, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, walking, talking, learning, watching with God himself. But here we see him taught a very profound lesson in the danger of self-confidence. We see him sinning terribly, denying Jesus three times and vehemently. This is the same Peter who said, To whom shall we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. Well, that's good. The same Peter who said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The same Peter who was the great preacher, the great leader, who could heal, who could do amazing miracles. How on earth could this happen to that Peter? And it wasn't just a momentary slip. These denials are strung out over two hours. The first one may well have been a shock and a surprise, but the next two after that were premeditated responses. This wasn't knee-jerk, this was deliberate. And you might think it took um, about as long for Peter to do this as it took for you to read it, but it, no, that's not the case. The passage is brief, but the events that we read about here took place over about two hours. The same two hours that Jesus was on trial before Annas and Caiaphas. He was on trial between 1 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock in the morning. And Peter was denying him at that same time. So there's Jesus in glorious triumph, speaking honestly, knowing that it will cost him his life, and willingly going to the cross. And at the same time, you've got Peter speaking dishonestly, desperately trying to preserve his life. Because that's what he's doing. He knows full well that he could be killed. So he's trying to preserve his life. The opposite of Jesus. So not only does a genuine Christian do this, but Peter, the leader of the twelve. And you personally know how easy it is to do this as well. Because although you've never stood before a tribunal and have said, you know, you, you could be killed if you admit that you're a follower of Jesus, you have stood before people when you should have said something, you should have confessed Christ, you should have witnessed, but you didn't. Because you were worried about the consequences. There's no Christian on the planet who hasn't been in that particular situation. If you're honest, you know what this is like. Not on the same level as Peter, but on a smaller level. You know how hard it can be in some circumstances to openly profess faith in Jesus Christ. Because there might be negative consequences. You know, because you've been through it yourself. I mean... It doesn't mean you're forfeiting your faith in him. It doesn't mean you're abandoning trust in him. It doesn't mean you're disdaining him. There are just sometimes situations where you're just not quite willing in that particular situation to let everyone know that you're a Christian or to tell them about Jesus and what he's done to admit it. So you understand Peter's situation. But you've got to ask the question, how did it happen, particularly with Peter? Well, it happens because, as I've already said, whilst we are new, we are saved, we are God's people, we still live in these fallen human bodies, which are corrupt, sinful, and self-protective. And that's what happens with Peter. So we can learn a crucial let uh, lesson from Peter. And the first thing that we see here is his foolish confidence. Peter, at this point, had been very successful. He's preached with power. He stood up before many people and preached with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's healed people. He's cast out demons. 
He's been in touch with supernatural power. But what he hadn't fully understood at this point was that the reason he stood and preached with power, the reason he healed people, the reason that he's done these amazing things, wasn't because of Peter. It wasn't that Peter had the strength. It wasn't that Peter was amazing. It wasn't that Peter could do this. The only reason Peter could do any of that was because God was working through him. He wasn't in touch with the fact that everything he did was in God's power. And he, Peter himself, was sinful, weak and fallen and could fall at any minute. Peter thought, well no actually, (laughs) I'm fine. And he actually said so to Jesus. So the account really begins actually the night before. Um, The denial occurs between 1 and 3 in the morning, as I've already said on the Friday. Same time that Jesus has been put under trial before Annas and Caiaphas. But it was on the night before that we see, Thursday night, in the upper room, Jesus turned to Peter and he said to Peter, Simon, Simon, whenever Jesus was sort of having a, a bit of a rebuke to Peter, he called him Simon, Behold, he said, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Satan had asked Jesus, can I have a go at Peter? I think he'll fall. Can I have a a go? Can I tempt him? Just in the same way that he asked permission to go after Job. And then basically Jesus said, and I'm going to let him. Because I want to prove with you, as I proved with Job... That true faith cannot be broken, no matter what happens. However, Peter, and I'm warning you, Jesus said, it's going to be difficult. And I've prayed that your faith will not fail. Notice he didn't say, I pray that you're not going to go through it and have a real problem. He said, I pray for you that your faith won't fail. In other words, it won't fail. Peter's faith was never going to fail. Why? Because Jesus said, I've prayed that it won't. Now, if Jesus prays something, it's going to be answered. Because he's God. So if Jesus says, I pray that your faith isn't going to fail, it's not going to fail. No matter what happens. He also prays for you, individually, all of you, that your faith won't fail either. And he's promised you that you will never be in a situation that it can't fail. That it could fail, I should say. That's why Job didn't fall. That's why Peter didn't fall. That's why Paul didn't fall. Yes, they sinned, but their faith remained. True faith doesn't fail. That's perseverance. Though we don't stop believing, though though our faith doesn't fail, we can still be cowardly, we can still sin, we can still fail to confess our faith. Now Peter, his problem was, he didn't actually believe Jesus. And he said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. What did Jesus say in reply to that? Jesus said, no Peter, I'm telling you now, Be warned, before the rooster crows, you today will deny me three times. You'll deny that you even know me. So Peter, Jesus knew full well that he's far too confident. And he said, Satan's going to sift you. Peter said, oh no, I'll be fine. So he says, well, okay, you think you're going to be fine. I'm telling you now, you're going to fail three times. You're going to deny that you even know who I am. And what does Peter say? Oh no. Basically, Jesus, you're wrong. I mean, that's pretty bold when you think about it. Peter said to Jesus, well, actually, Jesus, no, no, you're wrong. You don't know me. That wasn't the case. It was Peter that didn't know himself. But Peter basically said to Jesus, oh, no, 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 Jesus, you've got that one wrong. 
I'll be fine. That was the first time Jesus warned Peter that a satanic temptation is going to come from the devil himself, not just from a demon, but from the devil himself. And as a result, he told Peter directly, you will fail three times. You're going to fail me, you're going to deny me. Now later that night, Judas had left and the eleven left in the upper room and they headed to the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives, Jesus said, oh by the way, all of you, all eleven of you, you're all going to do that. You're all going to fall, you're all going to fail, you're all going to flee, you're all going to leave me. What does Peter do? What does he say? Oh, not me. I know you've warned me already, Jesus. You were wrong then, you're wrong again. Peter said, you know, most of the time you're right, Jesus, but um, this time you're wrong. The rest actually might, but not me, I'm Peter. I'm, you know, I won't do it. And Jesus said again, truly I say to you, that very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He tells him again. He said it again on the walk. What does Peter say in response to that? He still doesn't get it. Even if I have to die... I won't deny you. You're wrong, Jesus. I will die before that happens. Peter was so confident, so ridiculously, foolishly confident, and that was his problem. Because Peter was relying on his own strength. He wasn't relying on Jesus' strength. We know that because what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus says, you need strength to face what you're going to face. You need to pray. If you don't pray, you will fall. What did Peter do? He fell asleep. He didn't pray. All of them didn't pray. Not one of them. They all fell asleep. So what Jesus said, if you don't pray, you're going to fall. They didn't pray. So they fell. And he says to Peter, he woke him up, Simon, are you sleeping? And Simon wakes up and then the others wake up and then they all fall back asleep again. They didn't do as Jesus said. He went back again. He prayed again. He came out asleep again. This was a disastrous situation. Peter could not get it into his head that he wasn't able to face the temptation because he's a sinful, fallen human being. He didn't have the strength in himself. He didn't understand that when he was preaching it wasn't him. When he was healing it wasn't him. And when he faced temptation, the only way that he could face the temptation is if he made sure that it wasn't him facing it, that he relied upon God. And to prove it, he tries to then be brash and bold. Remember, when the thousands come up at the Garden of Gethsemane, what does Peter do? He, he sort of overcompensates. He gets a sword out and he lashes out. He's, he's overcompensating because he knows full well Jesus has said you're going to fail. So he said, no, well, watch, I'll show you. And, I'll, and he hacks off one of the people's ears, Malchus, the, priest of the, high, uh, the slave of the high priest. He's basically saying, you know, see? See? Look at me. I'm fine. I'm invincible. He was overconfident. It says in Psalm 16 verse 18, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter knew that verse. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says the same, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Peter was set up for a fall. Well, we know he was because Jesus said he was going to fall. But even if Jesus hadn't said it, we know he was going to fall because he was overconfident. Foolish confident led to his failing cowardice. And here in Mark 14, verse 66, it says, Peter was below in the courtyard. Jesus has been arrested, he's been tied up. All the disciples have fled. Judas is gone. And just as Zechariah 
chapter 13 verse 7 says they would all flee Jesus was taken to Annas as we saw last week about 1 o'clock in the morning Annas the former high priest but the patriarch of the priestly family he'd been high priest many years before the Romans removed him and then he had his own sons take over in a succession now it's Caiaphas and that is his son-in-law but Annas is the one behind it all he's the brains, he's the power and Annas lived in the same place as Caiaphas because that's what families did they would build houses around each other it was all, almost like a, a big sort of well it was very big courtyard and then surrounded by buildings all the way around on a square and Annas would be over there and Caiaphas would be there and another member of the family would be there and it was all around this huge courtyard with the courtyard right in the middle as we saw last week Matthew and Mark says Annas uh, was the one that Jesus was taken to just before he went to Caiaphas and that's where they are they're in this house first in the courtyard and this trial is going on it's in the dark and as I mentioned trials were not allowed to be held in the dark all three of Peter's denials occurred in the same location over a period of two hours in fact it may be that the first one occurred when he was, Jesus was before Annas the second occurred when he was before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and the third probably occurred just about the time that the trial ended as Jesus was being escorted back across the courtyard we'll see why in a moment Mark tells us it all happens in the courtyard but you've got to ask a question why was Peter there if he was so scared? what's he doing there in the courtyard? why has he gone that close? well obviously he is driven by his love for Jesus he is loyal to some extent but the main reason probably he's driven by the fact that he just is so determined not to fail because Jesus had told him twice you're going to fail and that's why he hacked off the ear of Malchus and that's why he's followed Jesus because he's so determined I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fail I'm going to prove myself he's trying to prove something here so he follows moving in the darkness one o'clock Jesus is arrested in the garden he follows them to the high priest's courtyard there would be a gate at one part of this square this block of buildings that would lead through the block of buildings into this large courtyard this unroofed area in the middle probably at least two floors of houses all apartments all the way around now Peter would have had to be admitted by a gatekeeper and you've got to ask the question why would the gatekeeper let him in? well we see in John chapter 18 verse 16 that John one of the other disciples was actually with Peter in the courtyard and the reason that they both got in is because John was known by the family of the high priest so John had a word with the gatekeeper who knew him and said let us in and the gatekeeper let them both in so Peter is now on the inside not sure where John went but he's there as well somewhere he's not right next to Jesus but he can see Jesus Luke 22 verse 54 says Peter was following but at a distance and it's that point when one of the servant girls recognises him Peter's warming himself by the fire it gets quite cold in the night in Jerusalem verse 67 there's Roman soldiers and temple police and she says you were with Jesus the Nazarene and Peter's caught off guard by this first question and he denies it he says no no I wasn't and he denies it Matthew tells us before them all she made a, direct, a declaration and everyone else there obviously could hear and Peter says I neither know nor understand what you're talking about what, what you're on about I don't know him 
Then Peter has a bit of sense and he moves to the porch. The porch is the bit, the entrance. It's darker there. And a rooster crows for the first time. He's trying to get away. He's trying to get away from the light of the fire so that people won't see him. He probably wishes, well I shouldn't have gone near the fire in the first place. That was a mistake, but now I'll move away. So he goes to near where the entrance is. It's a sort of corridor that leads back out to the street. Away from the flickering fire, away from the people. Matthew says another servant girl saw him. So this is a different servant girl. Luke says the same, another servant girl. And the second one says, this is one of them. Again, now for the second time, Peter denies it. Matthew says he denied it before them all. Luke says, he says, I'm not one of his followers. And Matthew says, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know Jesus. Peter's second denial is even more fierce. Now it's getting stronger. He's had a bit of time to think. He's really caught out. This isn't just a trip up now. This is premeditated. He's really in deep now. Matthew says that one of his accusers on the second denial says this fellow was with Jesus the Nazarene. And Matthew then says, Peter with an oath denied it. What he's saying now, I swear, I vow that I don't know him. I don't just know, not know him, I, I promise you I'm vowing. I'm swearing that I don't know Jesus. Then Luke says, about an hour later, time passed on. Peter's still milling around in the night. He wants to see what happens. He's still there. And then the third denial, verse 70. One of the bystanders says, surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean too. Remember Jesus and 11 of the disciples were from the north, they were all from Galilee. How did he know he was a Galilean? Well Matthew tells us in verse 26, verse 73, your speech betrays you. In other words, Peter had a northern accent. So they recognised his accent and they said, oh he's, he's one of them, Jesus, they're all northerners. He must be one of them. He looks like one of them, he speaks like one of them. And the person who said it, John 18 verse 26 says was a relative of Malchus the one who Peter had cut the ear off so he recognised Jesus because he'd seen him cut off Malchus's ear and he was a relative of Malchus Peter's in deep he has to ramp it up even more so now in verse 71 he begins to curse and swear and he's really shouting I don't know the man I, I don't know this man I don't know Jesus I've never even heard who is he? I don't know him and I pronounce a curse on myself if I'm lying he literally pulls down the hand of God on his own head to say if he's lying that's what it means to make an oath I mean he's lying he knows he's lying but he pronounces curses on himself if he's lying he swears by everything that he could swear by so first there's a, a single lie to the girl then ramped up lies to a few people another girl and bystanders but now we see this flurry of cursing and swearing he really hits rock bottom I don't know Jesus I don't know him I don't know what you're talking about and as he's saying that immediately verse 72 the rooster crows a second time and everything that Jesus had said to him came to pass Peter wasn't ready he wasn't prepared he was brash he was overconfident he thought he was fine he thought he could cope that was his problem Foolish confidence led to failing cowardice. And by the way, we see a very interesting statement in Luke 22, verse 61, that every time I read it, it just, it just almost makes me cry. The rooster crowed a second time, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I don't know if you can imagine that. There's Jesus, 
tied up, bruised, bleeding, his face covered in spit, and he looks, and Peter looks, and they're looking at each other. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how Peter felt at that moment that he's looking, and there's Jesus covered in spit and blood, and they're looking in each other's eyes, and he hears the cock crowing at the same time. That is the most painful thing that Peter ever experienced in his entire life. Not his crucifixion later when he was crucified. That, looking at Jesus, that was the most painful situation that Peter ever, ever faced. And he would never, ever, ever forget it. Can you just imagine how he felt? And he just collapsed when their eyes met. How could this happen to Peter? Well, first of all, he boasted too much. He was just far too overconfident. He even was saying to Jesus, No, you're wrong. I won't fall. I mean, can you imagine that? To say to Jesus, I mean, he's been with them three years. He's seen him heal people. He's seen him raise the dead. And he said, No, you're wrong, Jesus. I'll be fine. I'll follow you anywhere. He relied on his own strength, not on God's. Secondly, he listened too little. Peter told him again and again, there's a danger coming, Satan's going to sift you, I've given him permission, he's going to get you, you are going to do it. He didn't listen. Thirdly though, the most important thing, he didn't pray. He didn't rely on God's strength, he relied on his own strength. Jesus said, watch him pray lest you enter into temptation. Twice. He should have been awake, he should have been praying, he should not have relied on his own strength. So he boasted too much, he listened too little, he prayed too little. Fourthly as well, he acted too fast. He then sort of overcompensated, if you like. He reacted on his own. And that's when he grabs the sword and he starts swinging out. He's trying to prove something that he believes, but it actually isn't true. He's not capable. But he tries to prove it with violence. I mean, that's not the actions of a Christian. He was driven by his own fleshly impulse. He wanted to make a hero of himself. He wanted to increase his reputation. He wanted to affirm his self-confidence. You know, the sad thing is, he'd have been better off if he'd have just said, I'm one of them, and he went across and he stood by Jesus. The safest place that Peter ever was, was next to Jesus. When he was next to Jesus, he was fine. When he moved away from Jesus... He was lost and he really needed to learn this lesson. And he did learn it. The safest place to be is next to Jesus. But he fled. He followed too far off. He was curious but he wasn't courageous. He'd reached the top, called and commissioned by Jesus himself, set apart, loved by Christ, taught by Christ. He had this power, he healed the sick, he cast out demons, he was the leader. And here he is, looking at Jesus beaten and bruised, saying, well, I've never even heard of him. I don't even know who Jesus is. I'm definitely not one of the disciples. Of course, if he was another Judas, he would have gone out and hanged himself in disillusioned cowardice. But Peter wasn't Judas. Jesus himself said Judas was a devil from the start. Despite this horrendous incident, and you can't imagine anyone failing worse I mean, to come from such a, a high position of spending three years with Jesus, preaching, teaching, healing, casting out demons, and then to do this, that's about as, as far as you can get. Despite that, 
he's a genuine believer therefore his faith cannot fail not because of Peter's strength because he hasn't got any that's blindingly obvious he's got none at all but because of God's strength because Jesus said remember I will pray that your faith won't fail I'll make sure you don't fail you're going to fall a long long way you're going to regret it but I'll make sure because of my strength that you will not fail in your faith and Peter remembered in verse 72 before a rooster crows you will deny me three times Judas felt remorse and he hanged himself Peter felt remorse but he turned it to repentance and his faith didn't fail that's the difference between Peter and Judas Peter actually in one sense fell more than Judas but it was what they did afterwards that counted because it doesn't matter how far you fall it's what do you do afterwards do you repent do you say sorry to God do you ask for forgiveness if you do you're fine if you don't you're in trouble and after this Peter was there at the tomb on Sunday he was there in the upper room he remembered what Jesus said he remembered his ridiculously foolish words and he was restored we'll see that in a moment Matthew and Luke though at this point said he went out he left that place he finally got away and he went somewhere quiet to absolutely sob his heart out that's the only reaction he could have they just absolutely the Greek means he he didn't just cry he was making loud sobbing bitter sobbing tears he was desperate he discovered and it was a very very important lesson he wasn't capable of doing anything you all need to learn that he believed in himself that was his problem after this Peter never believed in himself again he relied totally upon God Peter now knew just what he was capable of and that was a profound lesson because Jesus has said to him when you turn around from this in other words you get through it you'll be able to strengthen the brethren because you'll be able to teach them a lesson that you've learned about the weakness of the most resonant self-confident believer the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak Jesus has said to Peter when you get through this I want you to remember it I mean you remember it alright <laughs> and I want you to encourage other Christians and tell them don't rely on your own strength you're sinful you're corrupt you will fall rely on God's strength Jesus told him that and he remembered it and he said it and he did it as I said this isn't the end of the account because he was restored we see the, the end of the account in John 21 after the resurrection so we move on now a little bit of time Jesus met the disciples they had breakfast they ate breakfast and Jesus turned to Peter and he said Simon Peter son of John do you love me more than these now Jesus wasn't having a dig at him he was trying to draw something out of him but you could imagine that Peter thought hang on <laughs> I'm a, you know, but Peter he knows what Jesus means and he says yes you know that I love you why did Peter say that he had to say that because he couldn't say oh yeah you've seen me you know you've seen the evidence there wasn't any evidence he had to say you know because that was the only reason that Jesus would know because there's no evidence of what he's actually done he's just failed him miserably and then Jesus said feed my sheep Jesus isn't finished with them and he says a second time do you love me more than these and Peter said and Peter's probably thinking oh no come on give me a break yes you know that I love you and Jesus said shepherd my sheep and Peter thought 
probably oh great I'm glad that's over then a third time Jesus said Simon son of John do you love me and Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time do you love me and he said Lord you know everything I know he's probably thinking I know that I haven't shown it but you know in your heart you know that I love you and Jesus said tend my sheep you see what Jesus was doing there is he was given Peter the opportunity to confess his love for every time that he denied it he denied Jesus three times so Jesus gave him an opportunity to do the opposite to confess him three times three times for three times and that is the restoration of Peter he's probably tearful then he's probably crying after this but he is now restored finally he's had the opportunity to say yes and he went on to do what he should have done in the first place he relied upon God's strength not his own he says that in his letters rely on God's strength Peter was told by Jesus in Luke 22 verse 32 your faith will not fail you it didn't fail not because of Peter's strength because of Jesus' strength and Peter then stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached this great sermon 3,000 were converted now he's back 10,000 were converted in Jerusalem and then he sat down and he wrote 1 Peter and he wrote in 1 Peter verse, uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 about the trials, the fiery trials that prove your faith. Have a read of 1 Peter with all of this in mind. And think about who's writing that. This is the same Peter. And he said when you go through the worst of cowardice, the worst of collapse in your spiritual life, and your faith doesn't fail you, that's not because you're great and you're strong. That's because God has held you. And it's all about God's strength, not yours. You haven't got the strength to do anything. You're sinful, you will fail. But God can do anything. So don't try and rely on your strength to face any problem in your life or any difficulty in your life. You won't. You can't do it. You don't have the strength. But God does, so go to him. Spend more time in prayer. Spend more time reading God's word. Spend more time in fellowship with other Christians. That's the only way that you're going to face anything. Because if you don't, you will fall just the same way that Peter fell. Because you're just as bad as him. That's the lesson that we learn from Peter. Peter learned it the hard way. You don't have to because you can learn from Peter's terrible, terrible sin. But that's why Jesus let him go through it. So that you don't have to go through it yourself. Let's come to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for the, the willingness of Peter, the willingness of him to follow Jesus, the willingness of him to follow even when it meant death. We know that he, he failed here, but Satan himself had a go at him. He was bound to fall because he relied on his own strength, but he needed to learn that lesson. And also we thank you that you let him go through that for us as well. We need to learn that lesson too. We need to learn that we can't rely on our own strength. That we are sinful, we will fail, but we don't have to. Because if we rely on your strength, if we spend more time with you, if we come to you in prayer, when Peter didn't, then if we do that, then we will be fine. We thank you, Lord, that we can learn this lesson. We're sorry to have to see Peter go through that. It does break our hearts to think of Peter looking at... Jesus, that time and hearing that cock crow. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you kept him as you keep us too. Amen.